0: It's my pleasure to introduce to you Keith Winder, who is the associate pastor at Wheatland Presbyterian uh, Church, a a daughter church of Westminster here. Uh, He comes and he's going to be bringing God's word. Keith uh, has been there for about 14 years, first as the youth pastor and now as the pastor of adult ministries. His wife, Melanie, and he have three children. So please welcome Keith Winder. Good evening, it's good to be with you all, and it's a joy to be here. Uh, bringing God's word to you and greetings from Wheatland. It is a pleasure of ours to partner with your church throughout the year in various ways, and your staff and pastors are an encouragement to Luke and myself and the other staff at Wheatland, and your church is an encouragement as we minister alongside one another here in Lancaster County. Our passage this evening is from Psalm 90, which I will read, but before I do that, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have revealed yourself and your will to us through prophets, through the law, through Jesus Christ, and through the word of God that we hold in our hands this evening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this evening be pleasing to you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord this evening comes from Psalm chapter 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. In the early 1990s, when the shoe company Reebok was in its popular heyday, they flooded the airwaves with a new commercial and a new slogan. I remember as a young child sitting in my parents' living room, impatiently waiting for the Philadelphia Phillies baseball game to come back on, and I watched this Reebok shoe commercial. The commercial consisted of a few quick phrases by people, all starting with, I believe, or I don't believe. The commercial would show someone participating in a sporting activity and the athlete would then stop and give a quick quote up close to the camera. One woman in the commercial said, I don't believe speed kills, it just hurts, she said. Another woman said, I believe in mind over matter. Someone else said, I believe the person who said winning isn't everything never won anything. And another woman playing tennis said, I believe 70 is a long way from old. And Then the commercial closed with this slogan, life is short, play hard. Reebok got it half right. Life is short. But the answer to the shortness of life is not to play as hard as you possibly can. As Moses writes this psalm, he is an aging man who is nearing the end of his life on earth, and it seems that perspective has come flooding in. When I sat in front of the television as a 13-year-old, I was soaking in this message from Reebok, life is short, so I am going to play hard. But Moses, standing on the edge of the promised land, reflects on life and sings a song of lament. Lament. The man who accomplished far more than I could ever dream of laments the brevity of his years. Moses sings a song that wrestles with the eternal God and the short, frail life of humanity. Life is short, he writes, and oftentimes it is painful. So what do we do? with the years that we have reebok and really the culture all around us tells us to take the short time that we have and spend it but the scriptures say take the short time that you have and invest it for the people of god all of our prayer must be grounded in who god is and that is where moses starts here in psalm 90 he says god has been our dwelling place his people for all generations. As we take up this song on our lips, and we will do so when we sing Our God, Our Help in ages past, we can point to thousands of years of God's faithfulness to His people. And this dwelling place that God serves as is not just a place to live, it is a place of refuge. When Moses writes this in around 1400 BC, a dwelling place for a nomadic people is always a place. To find refuge, it is a place of protection and a place of rest. Later, as God's people will take this song up in the exile, they had lost the kingly rule of the Davidic line, and they would desperately be seeking this place of refuge. Moses' song reminds them that their security and their refuge was never in a human, but in God Himself. The God who is the king over all of creation. Whether David or Solomon or anyone else is on the throne or not, God is our refuge and strength. He is our dwelling place. For you and I, this is a constant reminder that every other thing and every other person that we look to as our refuge will let us down. Whether we think a particular job or a particular house, or a political leader, or a political ideology, or a bank account balance will provide our dwelling place. Moses reminds us that the only refuge is the everlasting God who was here before the mountains were brought forth and before the earth was formed. There are difficult words coming from Moses in Psalm 90 because this, after all, is a lament But before he gets there, he offers this confession of faith. The God we worship, the everlasting God from generation to generation has faithfully been our dwelling place. This is not just a contrast between the eternal God and the brevity of our lives, but the eternal nature of God and his sovereign care over his people is the solution to our short and broken lives. God is our eternal dwelling place. He is our eternal home. And this is what gives us hope when we lament the brevity of our lives. After Adam and Eve fall by eating of the forbidden fruit, God pronounces a curse on humanity. To Adam he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall leave it all the days of your life. Thistles and thorns it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of Adam's sin, death had entered the world, and now life, which was meant to be an everlasting enjoyment of the presence of God, is now a short, struggle filled with pain, thorns, and sweat. Our days are now numbered. We will die returning to the ground. This is the contrast that Moses draws when he says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. But the years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. We must realize that even if we lived a thousand years, it's like a day for God. But instead, we only live 70 or 80. In fact, there is no time in our lives when we can say, well, I have a lot of years left. For our years get swept away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. I know in the spring, summer, and fall, it might be difficult for us to connect with the idea of grass that springs up in the morning and then withers in the evening. Because many of you experience that our grass just keeps growing and growing and growing for half the year. But in the hot and dry sun of Palestine, the new grass would spring up with the dew in the morning and then shrivel away by evening. And that is what Moses says is like a thousand years to God. As James later reminds us in the New Testament, what is your life? You are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Or as Job laments, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. A few years ago, I joined some of the students at Wheatland Presbyterian Church, and every week we went to a local elementary school down the street of our church campus to volunteer. Most of the time when we went there, we would read to first graders. On one occasion, I was sitting with a group of three kids, and I like to introduce myself and give the kids a chance to get to know me a bit. So I would always let each of them ask a few questions before we got started. So one opportunistic first grader said, I have a question, how old are you? Thirty-four, I replied, which was true at the time. And I saw out of the corner of my eye one of the other girls in our group with this concerned look on her face. Her eyebrows went up, a hand goes over her mouth, she looks right into my eyes and says, That's old. Are you dying? I don't think so, I replied. And then I quickly moved on to any other questions. But for a seven-year-old in first grade, 34 years sounds like an eternity. So surely someone of my age would be in his last days, she thought. But here Moses says that even if we lived to be a thousand years old, it would be just a short moment in the eyes of God. When I answered her question about me dying by saying, I don't think so, I was wrong. I am dying. And Moses says, it'll happen sooner than I think. Our lives are brief. But not only is life short, life is really hard. As we read in Genesis 3, the world is under a curse. And not one that the fairy godmother sort of reverse with a fancy wand as the flick of the wrist. In verse 7 of our text this evening, Moses again refers back to Eden, when the sin of Adam brought forth the wrath of God resulting in the curse of decay and death. Adam and Eve, as they worked in their garden park, experienced wonderful fruits of their labors. They worked hard, but they saw wonderful fruit. But now in many ways, the earth works against us, And it's part of the curse. Another part of this curse is exile, banishment from God's presence, his place, his sanctuary. The words that Moses uses in this psalm are also used to describe God's anger and wrath in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, where the writer says that the unfaithfulness of humanity leads to exile, leads away from God as our dwelling place. It happened in the garden and it will happen when Jesus returns in judgment upon the earth. Sin leads to exile. You and I live short lives in exile because of our sin and there is no hiding that sin. The psalm says our sins are set before God, dropped right in front of him for his judgment and his examination. When Adam falls for the schemes of the devil, it seems in one sense when we read the story that it's just Adam, Eve, the serpent, and a piece of fruit. As they look around, they may have sinned in secret. Maybe they would get away with it. It's possible that God didn't see them. Maybe Adam could find a way to get out of this. But then for Adam and Eve, something doesn't feel right. Now they're ashamed of their own bodies and the sin they have committed. And then if that already isn't hard enough, God comes walking over to them in the garden saying, Adam, where are you? Adam replies, likely, uh, I, well, um, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam tries to hide from God, but here Moses reminds himself and reminds you and I that our sins are ever before God. It is a scary reality to know that we can never hide from God. But on the flip side, it is a very, very encouraging reality Because our lives are short and our lives are painful, but God is present in every single moment of it. Not hovering over us with a nod of disapproval for all the filth that you and I get into, but present as the merciful God who has been our dwelling place for all generations. Sinclair Ferguson says, It is the same merciful God whose hand is upon his people in times of severity and pain, as in times of joy and satisfaction. And indeed, he says, the purpose of the times of severity is to wean us away from seeking our satisfaction from anywhere else except in the Lord and in his purposes. Life is short, life is hard, it can be painful. And so, what does Moses do and what do we do? Moses implores God to remember his covenant with his people and to give us wisdom. Moses writes, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Moses says our lives are short and painful, but now he says that it feels like God is taking forever. How long? How long? I'm amazed at how, for kids and adults as well, 15 minutes can seem both like the shortest time increment in the world and also an eternity, depending on what's happening. When I tell my seven-year-old daughter that she has 15 minutes left of watching the television, I get a look and possibly a, seriously, that's all 15 minutes? That's way too short, she says. But then if that same seven-year-old girl is working on addition and subtraction problems for school and I tell her she has only 15 minutes left until she can do something fun, she looks at me and says, seriously, 15 more minutes? That'll take forever. We see this isn't only true for children. In these verses, Moses is struggling with the same thing. Seventy years feels like it's never enough time in life and it also feels like it's forever. Return, O Lord, how long? But it's interesting because Moses in Psalm 90 also finds benefit in the brevity of life. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. In light of our short lives, God, teach us to live according to your time Table. Recalibrate our lives that we may live to learn according to your calendar. Help us to daily recognize the reality that our days are short and numbered. Teach us to recognize our sinfulness and our complete dependence upon you. As we wait for your return, help us, Lord. This is a proper lament from Moses, not shaking an angry fist at God, but an open-handed open-hearted cry, a cry that God will rescue us from death and judgment. How long, O Lord, until you come and bring rescue and redemption in our short and painful lives? You and I don't have to look very far to feel the short and painful reality of life. It is all around us. We feel it in physical sickness. We feel it in the way-too-early loss of family members and friends. And we feel it in the midst of violent and evil actions here in our hometown and around the world. We see it in the news day after day, the short and painful reality of life. Just a few months ago in El Paso and Dayton, we saw the reality of the brevity and pain of our lives. A few months ago in El Paso and Dayton, I'm sure you remember two men opened fire on innocent men, women, and children, and the brevity and sin-filled nature of our lives was clearly put on display for us and for our nation and for the world. As Moses would have lamented for so many families and friends in those towns, their loved ones were swept away as with the flood, and it happened as fast as a dream. The secret sins of racism and anger and jealousy and pride were brought into the light before an entire nation. As we watch the news or follow our Twitter timelines, the broken world that we live in was once again, as it has been so many times before, shoved right in front of our faces. And when these sorts of tragedies happen, we cry out with Moses, with the people of Israel, with the people of El Paso, Dayton, and so many other communities that have been directly affected by hatred and anger and racism. We cry out, return, O Lord. How long, O Lord? Teach us to number our days so we may get a heart of wisdom. We can have many responses to horrible tragedy, whether it's donating money or spending time with families or taking political action. It can involve going and being present with people in their grief, but it must involve praying that God will bring comfort to families and that he will give us a heart of wisdom. As Moses continues, and as we wait for God's return, we pray that God would make us glad for the days that he has afflicted us. That's what Moses says. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Does this mean that we're supposed to enjoy the fact that our world often seems like it's crumbling? That's absurd. Does this mean we're supposed to somehow, in some weird twisted way, love the pain in our lives? Of course not. There is no sense anywhere in Scripture that we are supposed to love or enjoy pain or even seek Pain, But there is a constant call for us to see God's goodness within our pain and recognize that it does not happen in a vacuum, but rather our pain and our suffering are experienced alongside and united to the pain and suffering of Jesus. You and I do not rejoice for pain, but we rejoice that God has given us these years to live, even if they are painful. Because in the pain, God is working, and in the pain, God can reveal his glory and his grace. When you and I exercise, or we work hard, or we make it through a really difficult day, praising God for the opportunity that you and I have to live and to breathe, we are being given another chance each and every day to see and experience God's glory in our lives and in the life of the world. Two few years ago I was running in a trail race in State College and as I was slowly climbing up one of the mountains in the race I thought I was never going to make it. I was so close to just lying down and taking a nap or turning around and quitting. But as I continued very slowly moving along and I crested the top of the hill I came to an overlook that went on for miles I stopped, even though it was a race at that point. I'm no longer racing, and I soaked it in. And in that moment, I was reminded of the creativity and beauty and glory of God in a way that I could not have experienced had I given in to the pain and walked down to the bottom of the mountain. Getting to the top was an opportunity to see God's glory and grace in a way that I could not have experienced without the pain of the climb. Now, I know in light of the overwhelming evil and pain that many of us are experiencing in life, an illustration of running in a race is a bit insignificant. But the truth is the same. Our lives are short and our lives are painful. But God is working in our lives. And in the pain, we have an opportunity to see God's glory and his goodness to us and to the world to let his work be shown to his servants and his glorious power in his children. As we pray Psalm 90, we are asking God to show us how he is making all things new in the midst of pain and evil in our world. Moses closes this psalm with one last request, and he says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands, yes, established the work of our hands. Moses pleads with God that our brief and difficult lives would be made purposeful by his power. And this is a universal desire for all of humanity that our lives would matter. It's why a book like that, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren was on the New York Times bestseller list for 90 weeks. For two years, something with the title The Purpose Driven Life was on the New York Times bestseller list. Because everyone wants their lives to matter. Even Moses calls for it here in Psalm 90. We pray, establish the work of our hands. Make what we do in this life count. May our days not be lived in vain. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, they needed encouragement that their brief lives would not be wasted. Paul writes to the church, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, our brief and frail lives have been given meaning, value, and purpose. Because this is a life united to Christ. Life is short and life is painful and no one knew this more than Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, everlasting to everlasting, became a man. The one for whom a thousand years were like a day. This God became one of us. To live in this world that suffers from the curse of sin and death and Jesus never made it to 70 years. Jesus took our iniquities and our secret sins and the wrath of God upon himself. Jesus took all the toil and the trouble of our lives, bore the weight of it all, and died for us. In his death, he returned to dust, taking the punishment for Adam and for every one of God's people since Adam ate of the fruit. And then in his resurrection, he gave meaning, value, and worth to the pain that you and I experience. God's steadfast love was put on full display in Jesus. So now, united to the victorious king, we can rejoice and be glad in our days. We can experience the glory of God in the midst of pain and evil and death. Because when Jesus rested in his Father as his eternal dwelling place, God established the work of his hands. And now he breathes life into his people and into his world as he makes all things new. Praise be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that your word changes us. That the work of your Holy Spirit, we are more and more being made to reflect the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.